My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, The Story Podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 154, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Kings 15, Jonah 1 through 4, and Psalm 138. 2 Kings 15. In the twenty-seventh year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, son of Amaziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was sixteen years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem fifty-two years. His mother's name was Jecoliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. The Lord afflicted the king with leprosy until the day he died, and he lived in a separate house. Jotham, the king's son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. As for the other events of Azariah's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Judah? Azariah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in the city of David and Jotham his son succeeded him as king. In the thirty-eighth year of Azariah king of Judah, Zechariah son of Jeroboam became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned six months. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, as his predecessors had done. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Shalom son of Jabesh conspired against Zechariah. He attacked him in front of the people, assassinated him, and succeeded him as king. The other events of Zechariah's reign are written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Israel. So the word of the Lord spoke to Jehu was fulfilled. Your descendants will sit on the throne of Israel in the fourth generation. Shalom, son of Jabesh, became king in the thirty-ninth year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned in Samaria one month. Then Menahem, son of Gadi, went from Tirzah up to Samaria. He attacked Shalom, son of Jabesh, in Samaria, assassinated him, and succeeded him as king. The other events of Shalom's reign and the conspiracy he led are written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Israel. At that time, Menahem, starting out from Tirzah, attacked Tipsah and everyone in the city and its vicinity because they refused to open their gates. He sacked Tipsah and ripped open all the pregnant women. In the thirty-ninth year of Azariah, king of Judah, Menahem, son of Gadi, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria ten years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. During his entire reign, he did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. Then Pul, king of Assyria, invaded the land, and Menahem, gave him a thousand talents of silver to gain his support and strengthen his own hold on the kingdom. Menahem exacted this money from Israel. Every wealthy person had to contribute 50 shekels of silver to be given to the king of Assyria, so the king of Assyria withdrew and stayed in the land no longer. As for the other events of Menahem's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Israel? Menahem rested with his ancestors, and Pekahiah, his son, succeeded him as king. 
In the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekahai, son of Menahem, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned two years. Pekahiah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. One of his chief officers, Pekah, son of Remaliah, conspired against him, taking 50 men of Gilead with him. He assassinated Pekahiah along with Argob and Ariah in the citadel of the royal palace of Samaria. Pekah killed Pekahiah and succeeded him as king. The other events of Pekahiah's reign and all he did are written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Israel. In the 52nd year of Azariah's king of Judah, Pekah, son of Ramaliah, became king of Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 20 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. In the time of Pekah, king of Israel, Tiglath, Pelesiar, king of Assyria, came and took Ijon, Abel, Beth, Mekah, Janah, Kadesh, and Hazor. He took Gilead and Galilee, including the land of Naphtali, and deported the people to Assyria. Then Hoshea, son of Allah, conspired against Pekah, son of Ramalia. He attacked and assassinated him, and then succeeded him as king in the twentieth year of Jotham, son of Uzziah. As for the other events of Pekah's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annuals, the kings of Israel? In the second year of Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. His mother's name was Jerusha, daughter of Zadok. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Uzziah had done. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifice and burn incense there. Jotham rebuilt the upper gate of the temple of the Lord. As for the other events of Jotham's reign and what he did, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramalia, against Judah. Jotham rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David, the city of his father, and Ahaz, his son, succeeded him as king. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that that ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your god. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? 
Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, he said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. For deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remember you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What have I vowed I will make good? I will say salvation comes from the Lord, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down on the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. 
When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Psalm 138. I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord. When they hear what you have decreed, may they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. So today, in 2 Kings 15, we continue to read about the unfaithfulness of the northern kings, and they seem to be dying quicker, and there's murder, and it's just, oh, getting so dark. And in the southern kingdom, we still notice that while some of the kings are being named as faithful, they're not being completely, like their whole heart, Shema, giving it over. They're leaving these high places to worship the golden calf. So there's still a problem going on. And then, super cool, we read the book of Jonah. And it's so short. We read the whole thing today, chapters one through four. Biblical scholar Christy McClellan describes how many of us may have been raised with this story, going something like this. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, so he went on a boat the other direction. So God created a storm, and he had a big fish or a whale swallow him. Jonah was a prophet. God called him to Nineveh. He didn't want to go, so he ran. He got swallowed by a fish for three days and three nights, and he ultimately went We would tell the story of Jonah, what it teaches me about me. We identify with the human character, Jonah, and ask what it says about us, perhaps as a person or a people. Jonah, according to Christy McClellan, and I completely see her point, Jonah is not the point of the book of Jonah. God and his mercy and pursuit of even the most rebellious is the point. I love the part of the passage that describes how the reason like Jonah was so angry is because he knew God was slow to anger and his love abounds, right? And and there's something we can relate to, I feel like, in that. So what is the story? He calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the inventors of crucifixion. They were notoriously ruthless. When Jonah finally did show up as called by God, the king called for a fast and sackcloth. It's like a pause in all materialism and consumption. Can you imagine going to the darkest empire of the day and taking the message of the Lord? Then the wildest thing happened, right? These people outside of Israel, they repent and are folded into the kingdom of God. 
we are getting an even clearer sense of the breadth of God's love and mercy. It even extends beyond Israel and how it extends way beyond the tribes and the nation. It points back to the original purpose of the family of God that he selected, where he says, here's a blessing to be a blessing to all nations, not just to give gifts or comfort, even though in the story, we also learn about how God does care about our comfort. The point is to invite, put on display God's name and call others into God's story. We are seeing a foreshadowing of the New Testament where God will include the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people in the story. What Christy McClellan brings up is how Jonah's response to this in chapter four is that he got mad. He's mad at God's mercy. Wow and why, right? Wow and why. She points out how she's heard many Christians describe the Old Testament as God's anger and wrath and the New Testament as God's love and mercy. But this book of Jonah is in the Old Testament, and this story, along with so many others we've read, tells an incredible message of God's mercy. He pursues these mercenaries, these mercenary Assyrians with his mercy, and this made Jonah angry. As Christie describes, Jonah wanted God to come for the Ninevites with wrath, not velvet paws. She points to the fact that the book of Jonah is not about him. It's not about the fish or the whale or his journey. She points to the last verse where God says to Jonah, there are 120,000 people in Nineveh who did not know their right from left. Should I not be concerned for them? What I feel like I'm seeing is a pattern where God's mercy is stirred by the suffering, the vulnerable, the repentant, and those who do not know. I feel like his wrath is stirred, not at the cycles of redemption, but when a people, a person, knows him and intentionally works against him, even more so when they lead others astray. So the story of Jonah is not God trying to tell us what Jonah is like, but what he, God, is like. And there's just something so awesome and registers to me and so important and true, right? And I I love that story about the plant. Like, sometimes I feel like we have to remember that us being on earth, us living, We didn't have anything to do with that. And yes, we can say our parents did, but really it was God, right? He's the reason that we're here. He grew the plant. He grew the shade tree, right? And when we take it away, when we get angry, we have to remember this was a gift for us to steward and it can be given and taken away, moved. We might have seasons of wilderness. We might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but what's consistent and what's promised and true is that he loves us. He will walk through and with us in these storms, not necessarily like we might not not have them, right? It's pretty clear from the, I feel like the story pattern will have them, but he'll be there and that life itself is a gift, being given this portion of power and agency and bearing his name is a gift and we're to steward it, right? And not get mad when God gives mercy and gifts that people don't deserve because ultimately we don't deserve it. So here's where we also see this connection, this story, right? And Jesus will offer to even the most wayward his gift of grace and mercy. If we've read ahead, we know this is true, right? There is this foreshadowing the story with this prophet Jonah's story of what Jesus is going to do. Jesus will come, but he will not run away. He will die for us through crucifixion and rise again in three days. He won't be swallowed by a whale or a fish. He will give fish and miracles, which is also cool. 
And Jesus will offer to even the most, as I mentioned, wayward, his gift of grace and mercy. The question is, how will we respond? How will we respond in our own lives? And how will we respond when we see this in others? My prayer is that we respond like the Ninevites, with a repentant heart and a desire to submit to the transformation process of Shema, becoming a kingdom of priests, representing the place where heaven and earth touch, where God calls us to put Him on display and invite others into the story. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.